welcome to episode eight of the Live Motocross podcast. Uh, hopefully you didn't see that on the video just then, but me and Darren were flagging each other as normal. Um, joining me today, uh, we have got the Verde Substance KTM rider, Lewis Toombs. Uh, we'll intro him in a moment. But first of all, Darren, what have you been doing? Uh, just really busy at work. Every, you know, more people getting about, that's for sure, this week, I think. And everybody's probably noticed that no matter what part of the country you're in. Um, so just busy at work, really, and just itching to speak to this man because uh, he's been on my radar for a long, long time. I've, I've been a, a full-on signed-up member of the fan club mm-hmm. and um, just interested to see how he, he started off, really. So looking forward to this one. So, Lewis, welcome Lewis to the podcast. Hi, <laughs> you <laughs> Good, good. All good, mate. All good. So, um, as this starts off, mate, section one, we'd like mm-hmm. to get a little bit of background about you. And uh, and this is what I, I know quite a lot about you from previous years, mate, what you've done recently and all that kind of thing. But we'd like to have this part of the episode early on because just to get a bit of background for the listeners out there, where you first started, and obviously we spoke to Sean Simpson, we spoke to Thomas Covington, all that kind of thing, just to get a bit of background on where you first started, how you fell in love with motocross in the very beginning. So how did it all start off for you then, mate? How did uh, um, it start off? My dad used to race. Um, he was just like an AMCA rider back in, back in Hampshire, where we used to come from. So he <laughs> used to do that and... Um, I got a peewee one Christmas, um, crashed it quite a bit. Um, I think I remember my mum actually, I wanted to ride, I think it was like seven in the morning and I wanted to ride and she managed to start it for me and throttle stuck and she was getting dragged across the garden. So <laughs> that, was a good, that was not a good start. But yeah, I got, um, like most people, got a peewee for Christmas, um, started on that and then obviously just progressed a little bit, started having a bit of fun with it, just riding around like fields and stuff. And, um, just getting into it really and then dad bought me a 60 um, and then went from there yeah I raced I raced local just to start with I think my first race was at a track called Oswald, um down in Hampshire so I raced down there Probably got, I think I got lapped in my first race quite a lot but um, really enjoyed it yeah, and then got the bug from there really and um, did all my local 65 stuff um, yeah and just kept kept progressing really awesome um- what, was that on the schoolboy scene, mate? Obviously, early adults, or when did you start actually physically racing? When was your first race as such? Um, I think I was. I think I was about seven. Was my first race. Um, I, I think we the club we used to race with was Paul and Parkstone. So we um, we did that club, and then we did Portsmouth Club as well um, on sixty fives. Um, I don't. I think my last year of sixty five, I started doing national. So I would have been about ten years old then. Um, but. From the ages seven to nine, I, I just we just did local stuff, um, and then we had some really good clubs around our way. Then, like really friendly, um, everyone really got on, and it was just like just just more fun, you know, not not nothing serious, and um, really enjoyed it. And that obviously gave me the bug to keep keep wanting to do it. Mm-hmm. What about rivals early on, mate? Did you have anything? We've heard quite a lot on the last few podcasts, <laughs> and we so for about this rivalry going on. Yeah. For, all eternity for lots of guys coming up and through the ranks and anybody that sticks in your mind that you just um, not really not early on like my last year my last year schoolboy one two fives um in, in the british i had quite a few rivals um david games was one of them he was like a welsh lad he was used to go really well um and then will warden i used to we used to battle we used to battle quite a lot 
Um, but other than that, in the in the other in the early days, there wasn't really anyone for me because I wasn't like I wasn't like the best school, best schoolboy. I wasn't I wasn't the greatest to be honest with you. Honestly, um, yeah, no, I struggled. I struggled with it all to be fair. Um, but like my last year of Big Wheels, I got it together. Mm. Um, I think I finished second or third in the BYMX, which it was then, which is obviously the BYM now. Yeah. Um, yeah, we. I think I was second that year. I had a good. I had a really good battle with Dan Arnold. He was. Um, he used to go really well back then. So he was quite a good rival as well. Excellent. Now, Spinksy dropped the big bomber, didn't he? So that yeah, he won he his first ever race. Like boom! Like out of there. <laughs> not not quite as as easy for you. Then mate, on the first uptake, then it was a, a little bit more of a learning no, curve. Definitely on the not. Bit, no. Oh, no, no, it was horrendous. I um, I can remember it clear as day. We were practicing. I went practicing with my dad on the Saturday, and it was just a local, just a uh, pig farm. But my dad's friends had a pig farm, and I was riding <laughs> around in, in a field that he had just spare, line spare. So I was riding around there. There was no jumps, nothing. It was just a flat field. And then someone who I was riding with said, um, said to my dad, "Oh, there's a race tomorrow. You should enter Louis, see how he gets on." <laughs> and next thing I know, next thing I know, I'm entered in, a, in my first race. And we turned up, and I, back then you have to you stuff to wear the yellow bibs to yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so I had one of them on, about ten times too big, and yeah, it was it was uh, I can't remember. Obviously, can't remember the results now because but I can remember like getting off the start line was like the biggest struggle in the world, just letting the clutch out <laughs> and doing that kind of thing. <laughs> Did you crash much, mate? Can you remember crashing on the? I don't think I think, I think I probably had a few, but I can't really yeah. remember that many. I was probably going too slow to to crash. <laughs> <laughs> so, sort of moving forward, then um, going off the 60, 60 days. How did you progress from there? Did you go on to like eighty fives, or did you end up going straight into one two fives? Like, how did you get on? Yeah, to be fair, I was quite a small kid growing up, so I was um, I was never the biggest lad. So I ended up doing pretty much my whole schoolboy career, like two years of small wheel mm-hmm. and I ended up doing three years of big wheel. I think I was 16 and I was still on a big wheel 85, which <laughs> you think about it now, it's madness. Cause obviously yeah. like people like Roxon and Hurlings, they're on 250Fs and 450s like at that age. Yeah. And I was still, I've, like, the more I look at it now, I'm like, geez, I was on an, I was 16 years old and I was on an 85. We had a special one made like with a big frame and stuff, but I was that small. I literally, I couldn't have gone on to a 125 or a 250F cause I was that small yeah um but yeah you, so that was I, I did the whole route through of um of schoolway pretty much until my last year which was a one two five and 2007 and then after that I went adult so do you think that um you staying down on the 85 uh a bit longer do you think that helped you more further on in your career um probably i probably did it the wrong way around like i probably should have done two years on the 85 big wheel mm-hmm and then, um, and then, obviously gone one two five, and probably done another year of two fifty f in the schoolboy because I went straight from one two five to to adult um, NX yeah. two, which is quite a big, it's a massive step now. And mm-hmm. um, so I probably that's probably where I messed up. But um, I literally wasn't, I was not, I wasn't ready for a one uh, one two five that time. I was still so small, so. Um, yeah because we see a lot things have changed a bit (laughs) (laughs) that's what I was going to say we see a lot of kids these days that are like 13 14 and they're on one two fives and that sort of stuff it's just it's mad how kind of things change and people are kind of rushing to get that progression straight up to the one two fives and two fifties 
I think, um, that, I, think I think the same to be honest. Like you don't, you never. There's never going to be a Roxon and Hurlings again. There's like yeah. a one-off. Yeah. So every I see people now like trying to rush through their schoolboy career, like try and take it for what it is, like enjoy it as much as you can and stuff. And um, and I think like riding the one two five is great because it you learn so much and it gets you ready for that next stage of obviously riding the two fifty F or going to the adult rank. So I really like that one two five class set, the BIN. I think I think that's really good. Um, and yeah, it's definitely I think something that the people, the ACU or someone, the federation should look at and making it a necessity to do before saying a 13 year old who's come from a big wheel jumping straight onto a, a four stroke nuts. Yeah. I think that one two five is like a key step. Because them boys in the one two five class, they are not slow, are they? <laughs> no. Like not. rapid. Some of them. I was watching them at uh, I think it was Landrake last year when they had the joint round with a Maxis. And they yep. were just, they're just running rings around people. I think there should yeah, be more, no. like, I agree with you on that. There should be more done to sort of boost them sort of classes up. Definitely. But I yeah. think you've probably gone about it in a sensible way, mate. Obviously, if you were struggling with your stature and whatever else early on, if you'd have probably jumped on that one, two, five too early, you'd have probably been more open to crashing, not being able to handle in it. And that's when you start getting into that mind frame or I'm not enjoying this anymore mm. or whatever else so to me it seems perfectly sensible thing to be doing was that your call or was it you know friends nah. family to, you, no? to be fair as my old man's call he um we had this we had this big frame built in holland um i can't remember what the company was called now but that helped me massively i can't remember how much bigger it was but it just meant that i could stay on a big wheel that, for that extra year um and obviously be comfortable on it so mm-hmm. Um, I think it, I think it, I think it was probably the right decision for me. And then my first year, one two five was really good. Um, I don't know, I just probably matured a lot and was ready for the one two five then. So um, yeah, I think it, overall it was probably the right decision. Yeah, definitely. It sounds like it makes perfect sense to me. Um, obviously, what is your take on obviously? So just talking about there about these youngsters coming through with the one two five. You've got the likes of like Carter and Joel Rizzi and stuff like that now naturally talented from phenomenal speed. I mean, you obviously watch them from the track side, mate, on occasions. I mean, do you think mm, that's the next up and coming right there? Or do you get yeah, involved you in any coaching bits and pieces? Is there any particular rider that you focus on? I thought, oh, he could be a one to watch in the future. Um, yeah, like we obviously watching the stuff coming for it, like at the races, you get to watch the MXY2 and stuff. So that's always good. And you see, I could see last, you can see last year that, people that are progressing like um Rizzy, Rizzy looks like he's coming on pretty good and Ike as well look really good um but obviously that next step to MX2 is quite big so you have quite a lot of guys already in MX2 that um are similar like not a, a little bit older and they've made that transition so it'd be interesting to see how they how those two get on this year or if there is this year <laughs> um so yeah I'm, I'm looking forward to that and other than I do a bit of coaching here and there um do a lot with Chris Bastic at Train to Gain. Um, yeah. sort, he, he sorts out a few days and go along and get stuck in with them. Um, but not, I don't have any like individual riders. Um, I have a few people that I follow. Um, in MX2, there's a young lad called Charlie Cole. He, um, he's from around our neck of the woods, who my old man, him and my dad, Martin, were in friends with. Um, he's, um, he's been in MX2, I think, two years now. Um, but he, he goes well and it's, I always like enjoy watching him because he's a really nice kid and try and help him out as much as I can. Mm-hmm. Um, and other than that, there's not so much that like, there's a young lad who lives in Suffolk 
just literally down the road from us um, called Will Farrow. Quite like I follow him a little bit because he's just started doing doing the BYN. Um, so I keep an eye out for him and see how he's getting on. So other than that, no, not not so much. Local tracks to you then, mate. Where do you, if you have your choice around from you, where do you normally uh, practice or? We're quite lucky actually, we've got quite a few. Um, yeah. On a Sunday, if I'm not racing, we have a track called Blythebrook, which is out near, right on the East Coast, which is like really good, um, sandy and gets really rough. Um, and then, yeah, we have a few, we have Besthorpe as well, which is a good track. Um, obviously, Mildenhall and stuff. So, yeah, there's a few to pick from if you're getting out in the week. But yeah, we're quite lucky to be fair. Everywhere else seems to struggle a bit, so. <laughs> yeah. Everyone else seems to be miles away normally, don't they? <laughs> yeah. Uh, cool. So 2020 then, obviously it's not gone as we wanted it to so far, even just in general in the world, never mind racing. Um, but how have you been getting on on that KTM? Because it's a bit of a change around for you, isn't it? Yeah, it's, um, it's been, it was going really well, to be fair. I, was, um, I, was, I didn't get on the bike till... Uh, middle part of January, um, we had some had some problems. So um, with the little with my little little boy, so I didn't get on the bike till the middle of January. Um, but yeah, I gelled with it straight away. Um, Ad Ad's like a really nice guy, sound guy, and he's he'll do anything to help. So um, that always helps having a team manager like that. So I I, I got on the bike and did as much as I could. Obviously, um, January and February. Um, and started to feel really good on it to be fair um, it's a massive change from the Honda mm-hmm. which obviously I rode last year um, but yeah it was things were coming together pretty good um, and obviously I haven't rode since the <laughs> since since the actual day of the British I went practicing when I got home um, mm-hmm. so I haven't rode I literally haven't rode since then so I drained the fuel out of my practice bike and disconnected the battery and then yeah I think maybe this weekend I'll start thinking about putting things together and waiting for some tracks to open. Yeah, that's it, because obviously cool. um, had... You just said there... Go on. I was just going to say, just going to pick up on there, it's interesting how much different the KTM was from the Honda. Can you just evolve on that, mate? What what, what, were you, what have you had to really change as opposed to... Is, is that um, like the power-wise or...? Not, not so much. Yeah, the power's quite a bit different. Obviously, the, the Honda... Um, was is quite uh had quite a lot more snap to it uh, a bit more hit so we've had a bit of um engine work done and some mapping done by multitech steve Payne. um so he's done a bit of work to the engines but to be honest with you the ktm doesn't need a whole lot of work done because it's so good from stock so um they've, he's done a bit there but mainly just the suspension and getting that right um mike um fat cats has done done my stuff this year and i seem to be reasonably happy at the minute so um i'm pleased with that and obviously see when we we um get going again how it feels because obviously the tracks have changed now everything's a lot harder and um there's not so much give so um, i'm looking forward to getting back to it actually and um yeah seeing where seeing how the bike is how i left it um and yeah going from there really defo um obviously we don't know at the moment if we're gonna still get a british how do you think that's going to go because we've had the mxgp calendar the past week been put out and that is intense from august you've got it all the way through you've got russia and then the next week somewhere in europe i think it was i saw um how do you think they're going to fit 
all of that in because there's quite a few riders in the British that obviously do both GPs and, and whatnot. I don't know, to be honest. <laughs> I, um, I speak to Rick Blythe, who's, uh, who works for the ACU and stuff a little bit. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. I, I can't see them fitting in everything with the GPs. I, if they want to run a proper series, I know it's only going to be maybe four, four or five rounds, then mm-hmm. I think actually, that's horrible to say, but mate, let's crack on about the GP boys. Um, we've, got yeah. good enough, we've got good enough riders in our country now. Obviously, Tommy's domestic. We've got Jake, Elliot. Kulas comes over, Van Donick. We've got some really strong riders. Why not focus on ourselves, um, our domestic series, and make that as strong as possible? Um, not try and worry about the GP boys who, I know it's not fair on them maybe, but the current situation and stuff, let's, let's try and focus on our, our domestic series and make that strong enough and try, try and get a bit of a following like the French and the Australian championships do. Mm. We don't know how this is going to evolve this year, and I think it's a big year for the British Championship to evolve, obviously, obviously losing some sponsors last year, and obviously with everybody now with this downtime, kind of overthinking, you know, what can happen going into the future, everybody, you know, trying to gel in together for the, for the betterment of the sport, really. Um, and I, I just want to put this to you, Lewis, if we can, just from a rider's perspective, really. Yes, you say concentrate on the British Championship, that's great. And to be fair, the Grand Prix riders, they're paid probably potentially to ride Grand Prix. So, uh, you know, for me, that's probably a fair statement, which is no bother at all. But if there was a shorter series, whether it be Grand Prix or British Championship, and for instance, you're a very, very good sand rider. You seem to gel well with sand. So if you had Fat Cats, Hawkston, wherever. So what I'm trying to get at is you've got this shortened series, and you become British champion, would you still honour that and think, okay, because obviously people at the very end of the day are going to see 2020 British champion, Lewis Toombs, whatever else, knowing that it's a short series of probably three, four races. Would you still take that in the same way as like an eight or a 10 round series? I'm just wondering what was perspective is it really? I think so. I think like if, if we get a four or five round series, then that's got quite a bit of credibility to it, hasn't it? Um, yeah. But then I, I hear things like maybe if we if we are going with the GP guys, then there's going to be like a two weekend double header, and to me that just seems like what's the point kind of thing. But mm. um, obviously I want to get racing and stuff, but I think that I think it needs some needs to be a bit of logic about it as well. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I think if we can get four or five rounds in, that's gonna that'll be great. Obviously, um, yeah, if something like that, the two round two round thing, then. Um, yeah, I don't think I don't think that'll work to be honest. But yeah, I think there'd be credibility to it. Um, obviously, everyone's going to be wanting to to win and and go racing. So um, and uh, potentially there's not going to be any injuries or anything. So everyone should be there. So it'd be mm-hmm. quite quite competitive, I imagine. I think everybody's just keen to get some seat time on the bikes, aren't they? At the moment, everybody's chomping yeah. at the bit. No matter what championship, what affiliation you are, ACU, MX Nationals, you know, Bridgestone, whatever, MCA. Everybody's just itching to get on the bike, get some seat time, get some racing under the belt. Who cares what guys it's under? They just want to get out there. But I think for us to sit back this year with a shortened series and really take it all in as a whole would be good for the sport moving forward. You know, I can see already see ACU, AMCA talking to each other now, which is great. Um, And I think, you know, once they start, I think this year they've had to think, oh, actually, hang on, this year we need to think about this. Um, because 
you know, there is a saturation point. We spoke to several riders in the podcast in the time. There's a saturation point to riders and affiliations. You all have to the same riders. You all want time on a bike. So I think something is going to have to evolve for the better. But like, yeah, so let's just get on the bike and just put it down. Yeah. It? So um, <laughs> you've, you've come off a stunning year um, on the Build Base Wonder. Um, probably one of your best years to date, I should imagine. Um, yeah. I'm a bit of a, a thick facts and figures guy. So full of <laughs> now. But I just want to say to the listeners out there, I mean, I'll read these stats out for you. And look at his frowning now. He's frowning on the thing. But <laughs> I'm just going to go back 2012. And we're going to talk to this as, as we go in through. 2012, ninth place, MX2. 2013, ninth again in the MX2. 2014, 10th in the MX2. 2015, and you can this is where you're going to come in, 36th. And I think I know what happened there. First year into yeah. rookie into MX1. 2016, 9th overall again in MX2. 2017, 8th. 2018, 8th. And 2019, oh, yeah. laughing, 9th again. I know. How many top 10s? <laughs> well, no, I mean, to be fair, I'd be very happy with that. You know, I know, it's, it's just that ninth, you know, it's just, it just seems to have stuck with me for, yeah. for ages, for the whole time I've been racing. <laughs> it's like the Kurt Nickel number two thing, isn't it? You just want to get it yeah. off your back, I guess. But, but <laughs> um, And of course, just talking about last year um, uh, and your, your, how it evolved on the Honda, obviously you had your first MX um, British Championship podium as well uh, of Fat Cats which as I say you've got this affiliation with San what was that like mate I know it must have been a monumental experience for you up on that podium for the first time it, it was quite surreal to be fair I um, I, I hadn't ridden the bike much at all I think it was two weeks before obviously everything got done um, and sorted with Dave obviously Jake helped me get the ride so everything got sorted with Dave um, two weeks before and I think I reckon I rode seven times, eight times before that first Maxis. No way. Um, no way. Yeah, obviously, and one of those was a race meeting at, the week before at Sherwood. So I hadn't, I hadn't done a lot of time on it. And I, I had two really good starts, um, which obviously helped at Fat because the conditions were pretty bad. <laughs> um, but yeah, I had two good starts, and I just put my head down and kept out of trouble. Um, I wasn't going, like, silly quick, but I was going quick enough to be in the position I was. Um, yeah, and I, I, you don't really see a, podium, uh, a third over on the podium as a 5-4 before, but I was, um, yeah, managed to get a bit lucky that day and, you know, how long I've been doing it and how much bad luck I've had. Well, not, I haven't had stupid amounts of bad luck, but I've had a bit of bad luck here and there. Felt like, um, yeah, I finally deserved, finally deserved it. And, um, yeah, I was so, so chuffed and pumped um, at the time. It was, yeah, really good. Okay, so just going off there, then obviously we went through that. And of course, you got mixed up in that awful crash with Ryan Houghton as well, mate, at Blacksall, didn't you? And you didn't yeah. come out of that particularly well. Just looking back, what was that like, mate? Because I can, I, I just see the footage now and it's the scariest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. Just you in the midst of it. Just explain, mate, from your perspective, what the hell was going on there? To be fair, it was, uh, it was one of the worst things I think I've ever been involved in. It was really scary to be fair um mm -hmm. it's, it shook me up for a, a long time afterwards 
um, and the amount of the speed that we went into those woods or into the trees was really scary. And I just remember I come into the corner and I remember had Ryan was on my left, just like normal, and he was obviously going to sweep in. So I started turning. The next thing out the corner of my eye, I just see Tommy's bike just coming straight and Sean collected in with him. And I literally, I was just a passenger. So as soon as that bike collected me, we just all went straight. Um, and I was still on my bike oh. at the time. I, I hit the chestnut and cartwheeled and straight into the bushes. And I remember getting up and I was, I was fine, obviously, when I got up and um, just ran straight to my bike, got on the bike and went not even thinking about anything else. And then obviously you see the stuff afterwards with Ryan and yeah, uh, um, it really shook me up to be fair. And it still does now. I still think, you still think about it, but um, yeah, it was, I ended up breaking my hand. Obviously I got away seriously light, lightly and I was really lucky. Um, but yeah, it's one of those things you, you don't see that often in the sport, but when you do, it's, it's really nasty. Yeah. Don't ever yeah. want to really, really want to ever see it. No, and as you said, a fickle sport, our motocross in South, and uh, we've spoken injury-wise, make you say, and you've been a bit cautious there, but you have had some injuries before in the past that have hampered your career, haven't you? I mean, to come out with such a steady amount of results in the top ten like you have is credit to you anyway. But I remember watching, I think you Hawks and Park, did you break it? Is it ankle or foot somewhere like that? I remember. Um, I think one year, I've, yeah, that was at Ling. Um, yeah. My first first year MX1, I, I, I DNF the first race and bike broke. And then the second race, um, I rode the spare bike and I got around on the first lap in the top 10 somewhere. And I come up to the jump and it, just, the bike just just stopped, cut out. Um, and I, yeah, I had to bail out and I landed really awkwardly on my foot um, and I broke my navicular. Um, or smashed my navicular into pieces so I had to have an operation on that um, and yeah I was out for the whole season um, still got a plate in there now from it um, I had some metal work removed but yeah that was that was um, that was that was the worst thing that was bad injury because the bone doesn't really get that much blood and it takes a long time to heal so mm-hmm. um, I just ended up sitting out the whole year um, and then regrouping and coming back for the next season so and then I, I had a, I think I dislocated my shoulder at Hawkstone, which was a bit of a nasty one as well. So, um, I touch wood, I've been fair, I've been, been quite lucky. Um, and yeah, it's just a bad part of the sport that nobody wants to think about. Really. <laughs> Definitely do not think. Have you lost me again? Are you okay? No, I'm fine. I was just waiting for you. I, I, I thought she's going to itch to ask a question in a minute. So I was just, I've been gassing all the time. So I thought I'd just sit back for a minute and let you go. Oh, you're all right. Um, so moving on to a bit more of a positive note then. Uh, what have you been doing to keep busy during lockdown? What's been happening? Um, my little boy Hudson. So we've got, we had him and he's been flat out. So he's five months old now. Um, the first two weeks, two or three weeks, um, obviously when it was really strict, like pretty strict, we stayed, we just stayed at home because obviously I didn't want him to get anything. Um, so we just stayed at home and um, did a lot of jobs around the house. Had a big old list, which I've tried to tick my way through. Um, <laughs> other, than, other than that, just training. And um, yeah, I've, I've gone back to work now. Um, I've been back like two and a half weeks. So mm-hmm. um, back back working and that's keeping me busy. And then, yeah, get woken up at night as well, which is mint. <laughs> <laughs> 
I was going to say, mate, obviously from having my two boys, you, th- you know, you come home from work sometimes, you think, oh, you're tired. You're not tired. You wait till you have that all night long and whatever else. It's a different level, yeah. mate, isn't it? But, um, but great yeah. as well, uh, you know, as, as, as a family now, going to the motocross and stuff like that, it's bound to give you a bit more emphasis on you and, and your racing and stuff, mate. But um, are you, are you, do you get involved with the, the feeding business and stuff like that, mate, as a dad? Do you get your hands on that kind of way or...? He's literally um, looking over his shoulder to make sure nobody... She did, she did just literally run in. <laughs> <laughs> I um, can see the fear in your eyes then, mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I do a bit during the day, but I was, um, uh, I've, he's got to the stage now where she, she's the only one that can settle him sometimes. So Ollie does most, most of the night feeds. I did a few, quite a lot at the start because it's a lot easier at the start. I didn't think it would be, but I did quite a few at the start. But now he's um, a bit bigger and stuff. She, she does quite a bit, so um, that's off to her though, because every day doing that, it's, um, takes its toll, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Now, we've got a big question here, haven't we, Soph? That, and I'm intrigued to see what you're going to think. Of. I don't know how much time you've spent with him and your teammates so far this year, but obviously everybody knows the legend that is Brad Anderson. <laughs> and have you had much time to, to, to be with him yet, mate? And obviously... Big shout out for Dominic Lancet as well, who's another teammate of yours mm-hmm. that's been out for injury last year. And uh, open he's going to do really well and back from injury this year. Another talented guy on a bike. But uh, have you had to spend much time with Ando yet, mate? Or um, I know Brad. Like I don't know him like really well, but I obviously know know Brad. Everyone knows Brad, don't they? So, um, but no, I haven't. I he did a few training schools um, that we were involved with last year, so. Um, spoke to him a bit then um but no i haven't i think we've done a couple of days testing together um but yeah he's he's funny he's he's, he's mad he's not he's not all there but <laughs> later i hope i can still ride as good as he does when i'm his age yeah, yeah well definitely mate yeah i wouldn't mind being half a second behind him he is phenomenal yeah. i think this is uh probably calling for get him on the next episode of the podcast yeah. then, i reckon at some point <laughs> yeah. good show definitely definitely that would be different wouldn't it so um <laughs> I mean, as a, as a teammate, as you said, team boss sounds like a really nice guy, I, I'm, you know, and, and obviously he's seen something in you and your results over the, the last few years. Um, I'm, I'm going to step back a little bit now, a little bit, because the first time I really noticed you was Matty Basin um, Grand Prix, and it was when you won the JR65 team. Johnny, yeah. Johnny Johnny's team. Johnny's team, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just key, mate, as a world superbike champion. How did that come about, mate? How did that evolve into a motocross thing? We know he's a phenomenal motocross rider and schoolboy champion, but how did that come about in the beginning? Um, I was riding Hondas. Um, I, I, I don't even know the year now. That's bad, isn't it? <laughs> um, I, I was I'm just doing my own... <laughs> I was doing my own thing, privateer on a Honda, um, and I went to try. I went to Northern Ireland to try the, the TAS bike. So I went over there to um, try the bike, like potentially run from the next year. Um, and I was sat in the airport, and, and one of my our mutual friends, Gaz Price, said, "Oh, would you be interested in speaking to Johnny? He obviously runs a team." Um, I was like, "Yeah, definitely." And it just went from there. Um, he was Johnny was involved quite a bit, um, and then his brother Richard um, used to come over to every race fly over from Northern Ireland um, and Richard's like yeah, one of the most sound guys you'll ever meet so he was involved with it as well and then my dad helped as well because he was obviously spanning for me at the weekend so the three of them kind of like run first year there was um, me myself and Wayne Garrett 
um, and the three of them kind of run, they run the team together and there's Kenny, his mechanic come over. Um, but yeah, it just, we just started speaking. Um, and then I met up with him and we did a bit of a, we did a deal and ended up running for him for two years, which was really good fun and still speak to Johnny a bit now and speak to Richard. So, um, yeah, they're a lovely family and obviously I'm so pumped that he's had, um, so happy for him that he's had such great success because he is one of the, he is a really nice guy. So Yeah, and deserves it, definitely. Um, did you actually ever get on, on track with Johnny or just interested to, to look at him laughing? Mot- so there, there's motocross. a story coming in. Yeah, motocross. Mot- motocross, yeah. yeah, yeah. We did quite a bit, to be fair. We, um, I went to, before Desert Martin, we went and I went and rode with him, um, stayed at his brother Richard's and then we went riding together, motocross. And then we did quite a lot um like pre-season camps like this was recently like two or three years ago in um in barcelona and johnny's mad for his motocross he's like yeah he's so that he um he goes so well which is like which is really good as well so he's always pushing he was always pushing us and he's like he's not some tracks he'd be like the same speed as us we're like really how is he going going that quick (laughs) he's a world super rider he shouldn't be this quick he shouldn't be going the same speed as us and then um yeah and then and then sometimes, a few times, he had a couple of crashes, and you're like, "Oh, Johnny, don't, don't crash! You've got more, you've got more to yeah. more this season than just racing motocross with us." <laughs> yeah, well, I remember because we went to Donington to to see the World Superbike once, and and he'd gone riding with Leon Haslam, and Soph's decent on the tarmac, to be fair. <laughs> um, and he crashed his motocrosser and I literally just went over to him as a fan and said, Oh, Johnny, I heard on what's name that you come off or whatever. I hope it's all okay. And he went, no, I'm all all right. I'm all fine. I'm all good. Like proper, <laughs> proper promo professional mode, like monster and all that kind of thing. Just, yeah. Oh no, I'm perfectly all right. I'm all fine. He walked away. Could hardly walk. <laughs> and I was like, mm, okay. Yeah. It's just, yeah. just made me laugh a little bit, but, um, Sofs, as I say, is pretty decent on tarmac and, and speedway and flat tracking and all sorts. She seems to have this opinion. Have you ever been on the road, mate, track racing? Yeah, I, um, I nearly made the switch. I can't remember how, much, how old I was. I think I was 13, 14, 13, I reckon. Um, and my dad said, what about having a go at road racing? I said, yeah, okay, I'll give it a go. And um, got uh, Aprilia 125. And well, I did. I did a couple of races. I did. I ended one race. I did a, a race at Silverstone in the Super Teams. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but I just kept getting drawn to the dirt. I kept. I couldn't stay on like. I couldn't stay on the tarmac. I just. I don't know. It, it, just, <laughs> it wasn't for me. To be fair, I gave it a go and I enjoyed it. I probably wasn't old enough to appreciate the opportunity. But um, yeah, I'd like to have another go now. Um, yeah. Maybe. Maybe in the future we can. I'd like to go and maybe do one of the Ron Hudson days at Donington. That'd be, yeah. Be yeah. That, to be fair, that's the name of the game, I suppose. Staying on the tarmac, mate, it don't help you when you go in uh, the scenery or whatever else. But <laughs> I mean, obviously, super teams. I mean, what there's some quick guys come out of there. Let's start off Casey Stoner, Chaz Davis, all come up through super teams yeah. all the way through. So, um, there must have been some pretty decent level there, I'd have thought. So, it's like right in the deep end there, I should imagine. Yeah, no, I, 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 I didn't really know much about it, but um, obviously <laughs> I was at the back, but it was, yeah. <laughs> I, I, it's, it, even riding the little 125, it scared me how quick you go on the straights. Yeah. <laughs> they are fast, them little 125s, aren't they? Super fast. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, right. 
going on to that then we've i think we've done that to death <laughs> but you're still talking about a comeback onto the the road bike scene then potentially in the future or no i'd, no? I'd like to have a go yeah yeah just you haven't left that put that one to bed yet then no uh, bit you of fun, need to once you get out on the 600s so much better <laughs> so much better yeah <laughs> a million times better well, just, I, getting, just want to get my knee down, really. That's all I want. I don't no, know. I mean, yeah, that, that's that's where the that's the money shot, mate. In it, to be fair, but <laughs> I can remember I went on a Ron Aslan day at Donington mm-hmm. and went round on the six hundred, and I thought I was going fast. Oh no, <laughs> I was not. Ron Aslan came past me with one hand behind his back and made me look silly. Called <laughs> <laughs> in, I said, right, I'm going home. I've had enough. The the I think the difference for me is motocross you believe in that front tire and, and we get a lot of feedback from the t- front tire as well whereas racing on the tarmac there's literally nothing you're either on or off that's, that's, and that's what i couldn't get my head around and yeah. it sounds like you were about the same mate you didn't know what your limit was either but no, I, I didn't not at all and i, I can't <laughs> believe how much you, i can't believe how much you rely how much you use the front brake and don't use the back brake at all so yeah, yeah. it's I mainly was, mainly all front everywhere it's horrible yeah <laughs> I, I couldn't get my head around that at all. <laughs> no, but they are seen, mate. You need a one up here because Soph can get a knee down. She's half off. Unreal, unreal. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, how are you? Uh, obviously, you haven't had very much seat time this year, mate, but um, have you got a. Uh, we'll find out later in a bit anyway, but have you got a preference to 250, 450? I mean, to me, and, and, and probably Soph as well, I think you look more. Uh, in one with a 450 um, I think you've got the frame to suit it and obviously probably sometimes after a few years MX2 wringing its neck on the MX2 bike going on to the MX1 bike with it oh my god you know what's going on here but have you got a or do you not mind do you yeah no I, I think 450 now I, I, I probably left it too long I should have done it a few years ago because I think it suits me I'm so I'm too big for a 250s but um, yeah, I think I think now I think the 450 suits me a lot more now, and I, yeah, I enjoy riding it now as well. I, I, I struggled before because I used to ride my 250F, and then I'd say to a mate or something, "Oh, let me just have a go on the 450." Um, I had a really bad one at best thought we were in practice, and I said to Elliot, "Let me just have a go on the 450, see how I get on." And I ended up crashing really bad, um, and I broke his broke his bike. I think the pipe oh. was bent and the, the, the rear end was bent and I kind of said maybe maybe I shouldn't ride a 450 ever <laughs> but then um, obviously last year I got that opportunity and yeah I think I'm I think I see I think I'm a 450 rider now <laughs> can eat a bit more as well so <laughs> this is true <laughs> yeah. awesome um, another thing I, I had this big chat with and I'm not going to name drop here but Jack Bernicle uh, uh, we did the Hawks and International together and he's got this thing of, he always asks riders how he comes about, and so with the number 33, mm-hmm. how did you come about with the number 66, mate? Where, where did that come from? And have you got um, a nickname or anything like that? Or? No, there's not really a good story behind my number. My, that first 60 my dad bought was, the bike was number 67 that we bought it with. The second uh-huh. bike was 67. Um, and that first race I entered, I couldn't be number 67 so I had to change the number instead of it was either go one way or the other so we went to 66 <laughs> yeah that was that was a story of my number really yeah but it's yours I've not, cha- I've not changed it I don't think no I, I was gonna say mate to be fair you, you probably had the opportunity to change it several times but you've stuck with it so it 
Well, it's yeah. just you now, isn't it? I think that'll be it now. I don't think I'll, um, okay. don't think I'll be changing my number. You're, kind of <laughs> dod- you're, dod- you're dodging the nickname question there, though, aren't you? To see how he's sidetracked that one. Have you got one, mate, or not? Or? No, not really. Oh, I have, but I don't <laughs> think it's appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. That's it, episode for me. Um, rolling into the Q&A's then we had a couple sent in um, over social media and on the website this week um, this one is always a good one um, this is from Charlie Jordan on Instagram and he says one race you've always remembered and why um, probably uh, yeah it'll be the it'll be the second race at Packer last year yeah yeah that's a fair point Just, just because of what, yeah, it led to. So that one, how nervous I was, I think. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, mate. Oh, yeah, I, I can only imagine. But um, yeah. I've seen a pick. Could you? Did you hold shot first or second one? I think you. You had good. Uh, I think I second. I think I think I second. So yeah. So oh, brilliant. So and obviously probably black soul for all the wrong reasons is another one sticks in your in your head. Yeah, that was um, yeah. I remember one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna let Soph do this next question because I'm laughing oh. already, and yeah, I've, I've seen it, so I'm like. Oh. So we mentioned we had a, a question off Spinksy, didn't we? And yeah. he has asked if <laughs> do you use the clutch when riding? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably too much. <laughs> <laughs> Now, from what I've gathered online and what I've seen, you've got a bit of a habit of going through clutches, haven't you? Well, you're not selling me very well to it. <laughs> I haven't told AD at Verdi this yet. <laughs> yeah, I have a bit of a bad habit, so um, it's not helped yet on a 450 either because I used it to slow me down, which is probably the wrong way. Um, yeah, there was a bit of a running joke last year in the team. With the, with the clutches, but yeah. Oh, there we go, Spinksy. It's, it's not a good habit to have anyway. It's better <laughs> than smoking, so. Yeah, well, no, no, definitely, mate. So, um, you just, just hard on it. Have you always been like that through your career, or? I mean, um, to, to be fair, I, on the MX2 bike, I probably wasn't as bad, but um, obviously last year, getting onto the, getting onto the 450 and having that much more power, I, I literally just use it to slow me down. Um, but yeah, it's yeah, it's not a good thing, is it? Really, <laughs> nothing to be proud of. <laughs> Especially when you're teaching kids, when you're teaching kids, you're telling them not to use the clutch, and then <laughs> use the clutch. <laughs> I just, I just think you're brave doing it on a 450 anyway. I mean, you know, you must be doing lally to to do it on a 450 anyway. I mean, God, I make much power going through there. Um, <laughs> One of the things that we always ask as well in the Q&A session is quite often we get asked um, any tips, riding tips for, the, for some of the new noobs out there, as my, like my little boy says, no, dad, you've got to say noob. Um, <laughs> any tips out there that you give, obviously, from your coaching side just to help them progress, mate? Because we always get um, different angles from different riders. I think like, one of the things that goes unrecognized, one of the like, points in riding that goes unrecognized is always like looking ahead. Um, 
a lot of people you I find, especially with when watching and doing training, a lot of everyone's looking at the front mud guard when they just pick their head up and look ahead and look where they want to go. It helps quite a bit. So always try and get people to just lift their chin up and sometimes like looking around the corner will help help a bit more than um just looking right in front of you. So always got taught like especially in road racing going back to that as well, like where you ever you want to look where you want to go kind of thing. So um always try and get that little one in when I'm when I'm doing a bit of teaching. I even did this to myself yesterday because I went out on the mountain bike and I was going around down one of the runs. I was like, look round the corner because all I was doing was looking at the hedge. I was like, yeah. I'm going in there in a minute. <laughs> End up in the hedge. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that gets you out of so much trouble all of the time. So, um, yeah, no, very, very valid point, mate, as well. Um, nothing about crutch, clutch use then, no, you do to want to add to that. No, no you're all fucking no, just don't, don't use it. <laughs> I should have, I should have just not acknowledged that question. No, no. Should well, have just denied question. it. <laughs> um, right then, I think let's roll into the quick fire round. Now, we have one, two, three, five questions. And I want you to say the first thing that comes into your head. So... The more you hesitate, the worse it is, all right? Because <laughs> we will literally, we'll question you then. <laughs> okay, so, uh, first one, Honda or KTM? Honda. <laughs> Two-stroke or four-stroke? Two-stroke. Hawkstone or Canada Heights? Canada Heights. 250 or 450? 450. British or MX Nationals? British. <laughs> <laughs> that was a close one. To be fair, that was the biggest pause we've had of everybody <laughs> so far, mate. You took that in there for a minute, wouldn't you? But we're going yeah. to put a time limit on this or something. Yeah. Or <laughs> I know. The last one was tough because MX Nationals do such a good job now. Like, yeah. I know. That was a bit mean of me, to be fair. I didn't want to offend anyone. <laughs> no, no. Well, when I read it through earlier on, I was kind of half cringing at that one, thinking, mm, okay, oh, well. hence. Nah, she don't care. Me. <laughs> it's all a bit of fun, Darren. That's yeah, amazing. no, no, it is. It's great. And, you know, we like to be people on the spot as well. It's great. This is true. Um, so I think that will probably round it up then for episode eight of the Live Motocross podcast. Um, Lewis, thanks so much for joining us from your kitchen. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me on. I've missed them. Um, I don't have to put them to bed either. So. Oh, oh got yeah, bedtime you duties. Go. Yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway mate what are you going to do about this fabled ninth eight places i don't know hopefully 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 this year we can have a good one and yeah i don't know i'm hoping top five so yeah i hope so mate you definitely the speed's all there everything's all in place isn't it now the bike's underneath you so um there's as good a chance as any once we hit the dirt hopefully fairly sooner rather than later let's hope for July the 1st, is it? They're talking about it at the minute? Yeah, I, I heard. I think that's going to hopefully start racing somewhere around then. So hopefully we yeah. get our Max's uh, calendar uh, and we can all get going. So uh, The biggest problem with this is going to be the British public, unfortunately, and the common sense or lack of it, mm-hmm. which might put us into lockdown. Hope that doesn't happen for all the right uh, reasons, obviously. And let's fingers, get back on track as soon as... Yeah, fingers crossed, mate. There we are. Cool. So that rounds up. Thanks for having me on. 
No problem. That rounds up episode eight of the Live Motocross podcast. Uh, make sure you subscribe to us on ACAS, iTunes, wherever you listen to your podcasts, and join us next week where we'll be chatting to. Um, Actually, I'm going to leave that one there. I'm not going to drop it in just yet, even though Darren's looking at me funny. (laughs) Uh, Join us next week where we've got another special guest. No matter how.